The stereotypical man has been the guy who says, I can't get sick, I'm fine, I'm invincible. And that 70% of chronic illnesses downstream when you get older actually can be prevented by upstream or earlier lifestyle changes, more exercise, better diet, and so on. If you do the right things at a younger age, you can add 10 healthy years to your life. Hi there, it's Dan Murphy, and you're listening to the Don't Change Much podcast. In this episode, we'll talk to the man who made this podcast possible, Dr. Larry Goldenberg. He is a urologic surgeon and the founder of the Canadian Men's Health Foundation. We'll discuss what led him to the creation of CMHF, who it helps, how it helps, and why there is still so much room for growth when it comes to men's mental and physical health awareness. Manage your stress, not the other way around. For simple ways to improve your mental health, check out the free MindFit Toolkit from the Canadian Men's Health Foundation. Complete a self-assessment, access virtual counseling, and learn more about how anxiety, stress, or depression might be impacting your health. Go to menshealthfoundation.ca and access the MindFit Toolkit to start improving your mental wellness today. Well, if it wasn't for our next guest, there wouldn't be a Don't Change Much podcast because it's Dr. Larry Goldenberg, who is the founder of the Canadian Men's Health Foundation. And uh, hey, thanks so much for doing this. Pleasure. Dan. And I guess the starting point would be what led you to start the Canadian Men's Health Foundation? Well, you know, I'm a urologist and uh, for many years I've dealt with all kinds of male problems, uh, you know, related to the to the prostate particularly, but also sexual dysfunction. And Back in 2008, 2009, as I was doing a vasectomy on a 40-year-old man, and I asked him if he knew what his family history was for prostate cancer or for colon cancer, he had no idea. And it sort of dawned on me that, you know, this guy really, you know, should talk to his father and his grandfather if he's still alive and figure out, you know, family history is so important for many diseases. You know, men's health goes well beyond the penis and the prostate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've got hearts, we've got colons, we've got mental issues. Men, you know, have always been, the stereotypical man has been the guy who says, I can't get sick, I'm fine, I'm invincible. And that's a problem. And so I started to investigate into, you know, what are the differences? What are we missing? Where's the gap in healthcare here? And from a family health point of view, if you think about a puzzle, we have women's health, we have children's health, and those are awesome. There's minority health that's being addressed. But the big missing piece of the puzzle was men's health. Why aren't we paying more attention to addressing the issues of preventative health care for men, making men aware that they're not invincible and that 70% of chronic illnesses downstream when you get older actually can be prevented by upstream or earlier lifestyle changes? more exercise, better diet, and so on. So with that, I thought, hmm, we need to, we need to start a new social movement. We've had social movements for seatbelts, for helmets, for recycling, okay? But we need a social movement to make men aware of their, invinci- you know, that they're not invincible, make men, you know, educate men, motivate men, 
And that really was the start of what we called at the time the Men's Health Initiative of British Columbia. It was going to be just a BC-based organization. I brought together um, all of the key players that I did. I found on an environmental scan of the province. We had government officials, and we all met, and we talked about a variety of men's health areas. And I thought, okay, we can connect all these dots. We can bring these people together. We can make men aware of the of the connections between diabetes and, and sexual dysfunction and heart disease and, and uh, diabetes and, and on and on. And we can make, let's get out there and start to inform men. So that was the beginning in 20, uh, 2009. And you, we did a men's health report at the time and we discovered a number of things. First of all, life expectancy. Men have always trailed women by at least four years. So back then, it was 76 was life expectancy for men and 80 for women. And if you look globally, there is a, the average life expectancy for men globally at the time was 68 years old. And there was always a four or five year gap in life expectancy between men and women. How do you explain all of that? Well, there, men die more often of cardiac disease, diabetes, out of the 35 cancers, men are more common in 32 out of the 35. Workplace injuries, you know, men are not the brightest guys. They do some pretty stupid things, actually. That leads to death. Suicide rates higher, alcoholism higher, smoking higher. So all of these preventable lifestyle things were in men, and that was why there's this consistent gap, and that gap is not getting any smaller. So it sounds like uh, educate and communicate are kind of at the top of this when it comes to to men's health. Absolutely. And, and one of the early research projects we did was to try to understand why men hear the same message differently. You have to personalize the messages. You got to make sure that it's that it's the kind of a message that a man can understand. You can communicate to a man in a way that he's comfortable listening to the message he can receive the message in a private area. He doesn't have to go to a health clinic or has to be, he doesn't have to be seen sneaking into a doctor's office. This is why, you know, the, the Canadian Men's Health Foundation, which by the way, was rolled out in 2014, and it grew out of the Men's Health Initiative of British Columbia, became a national NGO. And we rolled it out in Ottawa with the prime minister. And it, it's been a, it's been a highly, successful NGO over the years. So then let's start with men at a younger age. How can we expose them to the healthcare system at a younger age? You got to get the message out to them and don't change much was a great way to get to them because guys don't want to change. You can't go to a 30 year old and say, all of a sudden I want you to stop drinking, stop smoking, exercise more, sleep better, you know, lose weight, blah, blah, blah. Now there are a lot of guys who are actually in great shape. Right? But our statistics were that 72% of men are not healthy or borderline unhealthy. So that leaves 38% of 38, no, 28% of men who actually are healthy. And that's fine. We're not, keep doing what you're doing, guys. That's great. It's that number of men, that, that large number of men who are not healthy that we need to address. And a lot of them are in their 30s and 40s. And that's the time where you can make these changes. So don't change much became the brand. You don't have to change everything. Let's start by, you know, getting off the bus a block earlier and a walk to work. Take the stairs, half fries, half salad. 
Mm-hmm. You know, these kinds of messages. If you drink three beers, cut down to two, and then maybe one. If you smoke, cut it down gradually. Make small changes, because we can all adapt to small changes. And eventually, these small changes became become behavioral changes that become more permanent. So in the young men, is there ways to self-diagnose, self-educate, uh, to do some things before you actually right. go see your doctor? Yeah. Absolutely. So one of the, I think, some of the great programs that we have in Don't Change Much are, for example, um, uh, the Men's Health Check tool, where you can go online in the privacy of your den on your computer, and you can, it'll ask you a series of questions related to family history, diet, exercise, sleep patterns, and so on, and it will give you your risk. And this has been validated by public health experts based on good literature. It, and it'll give you, tell you what your risk is for seven male health issues that are important. Cardiac disease, diabetes, impotence or sexual dysfunction, um, low testosterone and prostate cancer and so on. And so you can do that. And it might say to you, you know, buddy, you've got no risk for any of these disease. Carry on. You're doing well. Or it might say, hmm you're at pretty high risk of a heart attack when you're 45 years old. You may want to do something then. And then that's your trigger to look into it. And we'll give you advice. We'll give you connections. Maybe find a, go to a healthcare clinic of some sort, a walk-in clinic, find somebody to help you out with that. Yeah. And it's just, uh, some of it's as easy as talking to your dad or your grandfather and saying, what's our family history? It's so important to know family history, you know, so get it while you're young and those guys are still alive, your uncles and your father and your grandfather. Find out if there's a long string of prostate cancer in your family, well, you're at risk. You need to be screened probably at an earlier age. You know, if there's a, if there's a significant family history of heart attacks and strokes, well, buddy, you should know what your cholesterol is. You should know what your blood pressure is. We, ha- we, have, these, we have a tool where you can look at, you know, for different decades of life, what kind of screening, what kind of tests you should have, what you should know about your health. That's all online. You can find that. You don't need to go to see a doctor to get that. It's all here. It's all digital. It's available. What would you say, you mentioned prostate exams, but what would you say are the most important tests or exams that that men should get, uh, let's say, before the age of 40? Well, before the age of 40, you should have your blood pressure checked. You should know your cholesterol. You should know your family history, as as we mentioned. Before 40, it's not as important for prostate checks. After 40, it is, unless you really have a, like a really strong family history. Testicular cancer is one of the cancers that affect men, obviously not women. And it's not that uncommon. I mean, it's not that common, but men should have a feel of their, of their scrotums, of their testicles and have, you know, know what you've got down there. Know what you're carrying down there, because if there's a change... If in a couple of years you start to feel some firmness or thickening or a lump in the testicle, that could be that could be serious. Mm. And testicular cancer is a cancer of young men. It peaks in the mid twenties, so know what you got. Mm-hmm. I think you said like a lot of the young people find themselves invincible or young men, but you probably could get some of them. Like you had me at erectile dysfunction. So, so is if, that is that a starting point for? Maybe lifestyle changes, even though there's no problem at 20. You know, Dan, if I tell a 30-year-old man that he should stop smoking because when he's 50 or 60, he's going to have a risk of lung cancer or bladder cancer, he'll look at me and say, oh, I don't care what's going to happen that 30 years from now. 
But if I tell him that if you keep smoking, you're going to lose your erections in five years, let me tell you, I got his attention. Okay? There is a significant link between smoking and sexual loss or erectile dysfunction. There's no question. There's also a significant link between diabetes and erectile dysfunction. So if you got, you know, you're carrying too much weight and you're at risk of diabetes, well, let me tell you, you're not just going to have to take a drug for your diabetes. You're going to lose your sexual function. It, it impacts on the vascular systems throughout. You may lose a foot. You may get gangrene. You, I mean, there's all kinds of nasty things, kidney failure that are related to uncontrolled diabetes. So blood sugar is important, especially if you're carrying too much weight. So, you know, you got to know those things. And yeah, it can happen when you're 30. I mean, heart health or cardiovascular disease, diabetes, these are not male specific. No. But they kind of are male specific in terms of the way they're impacting at a greater rate. Is that fair? Yeah, they're more, they're, I think they impact at a younger age. Cardiovascular disease, you don't see a lot of 45-year-old women dying of heart attacks. At age 60 or beyond, I think there's very little difference between the, the sexes. But early on, it tends to impact men more. And it's probably because women do pay attention to their diet. Women do pay attention to their weight. Women do seek medical, regular medical care. And it really dates back to when you're a child. When you're, when you're a kid, your mom takes you to the doctor. You know, but, but by the time you're 18 or, or 20, as a man, you don't go to the doctor anymore. You might get a flu shot or something, probably not. But, you know, you don't pay attention to that. And as you get into your 20s and 30s, you get married, you have a family, your attention is on your work, on generating income, looking after your family. That's the way the man, man's brain works. For a woman, when they're 18 years old, they're now, they have to go see the doctor. Maybe it's birth control. Maybe they're getting pregnant. Maybe they, they need their, their cervical te- you know, screening. There's all kinds of reasons that women will attend the healthcare system that men don't have in that young group. So we're trying to get the message to young guys is, yeah, okay, you don't have to go see your doctor because you don't have a cervix, right? Or you don't need a mammogram when you turn 40. But heck, check your testicles. Know what your blood pressure is. Get your family history. Get your cholesterol checked. If you know, lose weight. Stop smoking. Healthy diet. And you know, these are these are just so simple, really, when you think about it. There was a early when we when we went to Ottawa in 2014 uh, for the rollout of the of the Canadian Men's Health Foundation. Wayne Hartrick, who was the president at the time before T.C. Carling. Wayne and I were sitting in a food court just having a coffee waiting, you know, to meet with the members of parliament. And this young guy walks down the, the food court wearing a red sw- sweatshirt and he had a belly like this. And I pointed to him, well, I sort of pointed at him and I said, Wayne, that's our target. That guy's going to develop diabetes if he doesn't have it already, heart disease, and he's going to die young. That's who we have to address. You know, the healthy guy, the marathon runner, you know, or the triathlete, well, you know, he should know his family history too because, you know, there are occasional athletes, as you know, even in hockey, who who get heart problems. You know, it happened. It's happened recently, mm-hmm. you know, in, in hockey arenas. The, these physical, um, when does it bleed into a mental health uh, like if I'm someone who is overweight or have diabetes, what kind of impact can that ultimately have on, as you get older, on your mental health? Absolutely. Well, there's no question that, you know, mental health arises, you know, there's different kinds of mental health, whether it's depression or anxiety, stress, whatever. It's significant. And it's significant in men and in women. 
I think the pandemic has brought it out a lot. You know, by the way, this isn't a competing victims discourse. Mm. This isn't men versus women. And I think we have to emphasize that. This is about filling in that that last piece of the puzzle of family health. We're talking families here. Families need a healthy father, just like they need a healthy mother. And, you know, unfortunately in our society, there are a lot of families of single mothers, you know, bringing up kids. And we, we're doing a lot of research, particularly with uh, uh, our co- colleagues in Blueprint, which is their men's health group in, in British Columbia, looking at fatherhood and the impact of fathers on children. For just as an example, an obese father, if, if your father is obese, your risk of being obese yourself is 10 times increased. It doesn't apply if you have an obese mother for some reason. Don't understand that. But, you know, there's, there's definite linkages between father's behaviors and children's behavior. You mentioned a lot of men put things off or don't want to address things. Has there ever been a case in your life that sticks out? <sighs> Absolutely. Some 30 years ago, a young man who worked very hard seven days a week and he came to see me because he had a, a mass or a growth in his scrotum. And when I looked at him, this thing was the size of a small football. And I said, how could you have ignored that? He said, well, I was just so busy and I didn't think much of it. I thought maybe it was a hernia or something. And I turned out it was a testicular cancer and he was dead six months later. That case will always, you know, ring in my in my mind as someone who just ignored his own health, the invincible young man. And then at the other extreme, I recall a 65-year-old man whose father had prostate cancer, grandfather had prostate cancer, brother had prostate cancer, and totally ignored it. He never had a PSA, a blood test, screening test, never saw a doctor to examine his prostate. And by the time he came to see me, the cancer had spread throughout his body. And again, he was dead within a year. And those are just two examples of how men can ignore their health. And just, it's this stereotypical male, Mm -hmm. you know. Even with the information right there. Yeah. You could see it, and then you had the historical information. Exactly. Uh, You know, so guys, you know, brighten up. You know, this, this man up. Mm-hmm. thing that we have going on in our society. Well, man up is also man up to your health. You know, no, don't just man up to your muscles and to your buddies uh, on game night. The life expectancy thing, I think is a, <clears throat> is a interesting one. Um, and you say the gap is still widening. Does that, it's, it's does still that mean between, we're not, that men still aren't getting, <laughs> getting the message? I think so. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, it's still around four years. I haven't seen this year's statistics yet. I don't know what it, whether it's changed globally, though. If you look at the global, you know, the world as a whole, that gap is not narrowing. What's the difference then between life expectancy and, and health expectancy? I like to say you, if, you, if you do the right things at a younger age, you can add 10 healthy years to your life. All right? Because... That health expectancy is the gap between when you die and when you get sick. Now, if you're going to be sick for 10 years, just think of the impact on the healthcare system, on your family, on the economics of the country, and and so on, and, you know, on society, on your community. So that health expectancy gap has to be narrowed. And it can be narrowed because so many of these chronic illnesses are preventable. 
I mean, we can't prevent them all. I mean, we're not going to, you know, there's no magic bullet here that's going to make you live to a hundred, you know, but there's a lot of things that can decrease your risks of chronic disease. What's the age range then when it's, I'm sure up until the age of 30, 35, it's preventative. When does it then usually, you know, seep all into ages, reactive? All Doesn't ages, matter. all ages. Let's talk about exercise as an example. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Okay. There was a great Australian study about 10 years ago on 12,000 plus um, men over the age of 65. Okay, so starting exercise even over the age of 65 decreased the risks of dying early. Okay, so it doesn't really matter. I think the, the impact of exercise is much greater in men who go from zero exercise to even a little bit of exercise versus someone who goes from moderate exercise to extreme exercise. And at the other end, there actually is exercise addiction. Yeah. You know, there are some guys who just go crazy and they're, they're addicted. They can't go a day. They can't without thinking about exercise or and continually increasing it. And that's a, that's not a big issue. It's maybe 1%, but it's still an issue. But we're, we're look, looking more, you know, at the other end of the, of the spectrum here where guys are not doing any exercise. So the minimum exercise is basically 30 minutes a day for at least five days a week of physical activity that will decrease your risks of heart disease and early death. Okay, and it has to be in conjunction with diet as well. So you can't, you know, eat huge amounts of food and, and think that 30 minutes of exercise is going to make a difference. There's a balance. There's an energy balance that's important. I think, and there is more data and a lot of studies that have shown that 60 minutes of physical activity, accumulated physical activity during the course of a day. So you don't have to, you know, exercise really hard for 60 minutes straight, but you know, 60 minutes of activity during the day, every day of the week, will decrease your risks of early death significantly. What about the benefits, mental health, Absolutely. physical activity? I think there's a huge link between mental health and um, exercise. You know, and you can ask a lot of guys, they feel a whole lot better anxiety-wise, depression-wise. Just, you know, maybe it's because they're losing weight, they feel better, self-esteem is improved. That might be one reason. There are metabolic changes for sure that come with, with exercise and weight loss. For example, your risk of diabetes or heart disease. You feel better. You sleep better. You, you know, and especially if it's in conjunction with a healthy diet, life is better. Mm -hmm. Was there a time where, where you had to make some of those choices for exercise? Has it helped improve your physical um, well-being, your mental well-being? Yeah, about, uh, <clears throat> about 10 or 12 years ago, I lost 30 pounds. I was a little bit chubbier than I am now, and I exercise every day. You know, I, I get on the on the bike and I, the stationary bike, and I exercise on a daily basis. And you'll have to ask my wife if it's made me any nicer, <laughs> but I do feel better. And by the way, there is also a link which I think guys would be interested in between weight loss and exercise and sexual function. Actually, there is data to uh, to show that. Erectile function improves with when you're in better shape. Blood flow, probably big, big reason for that. Blood flow, heart health, absolutely. And and uh, there's also you know testosterone, which makes us male, is converted enzymatically in fatty tissue to estrogen. And so there's a theory that also if you lose fat, 
your estrogen levels. You need estrogen levels in men. Actually, there's a small amount of estradiol in, in our bodies. That's important. Okay, testosterone is much more important. In females, it's the op- opposite. Estrogen is the key hormone, but they have testosterone as well. These are important hormones. And so there's hormonal changes that occur with weight loss that may impact on libido, sexual desires, and sexual functioning. So the Canadian Men's Health Foundation... Was it important to you to have a kind of an umbrella fu- uh, foundation that would deal with mental health, yes. physical health resources across the board? Yes, I think that's critically important. What I didn't want was another what I call urology men's health clinic, where guys come for sexual health issues or for prostate cancer screening or infertility, like you know male-specific illnesses where you come in and at first, we, we talked about a one-stop shop where we would have an endocrinologist, a cardiologist, a smoke cessation expert, a urologist, and all in sort of in one clinic where you can come in the front door, get fully checked out the back door with all the advice you ever needed. That didn't work. It, it, you know, we tried it for a few years. That's not, that's not going to work. And there are lots of clinics out there. What, the real issue is messaging in a male um, way uh, to, you know, to get that dialogue going, to get people aware, to get people motivated. That's the key. So we're all digital. There's no, this isn't, there's no hands-on health right now. It's, it's all about awareness. And, and I think that's, you know, being the, the secret, I think, to the success. And we're, you know, we're still, we're still working. We're still growing. You know, we have a long ways to go. There are a lot of men out there who are not engaged yet. We need to get them engaged. It's important just to get them in the door of the website, basically just poking around if they have some questions. Absolutely. So if, if I have a friend who I know is a little overweight or his diet needs an overhaul, like is there a... One uh, one way of giving the message to them that they should do yeah. something, or is it just you suggest they go to the Men's Health Foundation or change, don't change much ca and do the Men's Health Check tool. Do that tool. It takes seven minutes, right? Mm-hmm. Get an idea. You know, what am I at risk of, of developing over the years to come? You know, I want to live to see my grandchildren married and you know graduating from college and and whatever. You know, so and it's interesting. When it comes to health awareness, there's really two peaks that have been identified in, in the lifespan of a man. The first peak is when you're sort of 20, early 20s, and you're thinking, you know, I got to look good. You know, you're looking for a partner. This is nature. That first peak is at age 20, where men are thinking, okay, I, what can I do to make me the most attractive possible, both physically and mentally, and socially and culturally, to, you know, to a part, a potential partner. And then the second peak is at age 50 when men realize, Hmm, maybe I better pay some attention to my health because I want to live another 30 years. Mm-hmm. I want to see my, my kids grow up and I want to see my grandchildren and, and so on. I think that'd be a very powerful time to speak to someone when they first have kids and maybe they're not Absolutely. physically or mentally taking care of themselves as much as they should to say. Absolutely. And there know. are a lot of mental health issues that occur in, in fathers and young fathers and they need to seek the help. Don't be shy. You know, there's no stigma here. I mean, if you've got, you know, you're depressed, you're anxious, you're stressed, speak to somebody, 
And there are a lot of websites out there for mental health where you, and you know, you, you're aware of other ones and, and, and you certainly can be, get good direction from our don't change much or men's health foundation. What's the feedback been like? Have you had certain individuals come up to you and say, thank you? Absolutely. We've had some great testimonial letters. Uh, we actually did a survey because outcomes are important. It's one thing to send the message out there, you know, but is it just going into a vacuum and uh, into space or are we actually reaching people and getting them to make changes? And in fact, our surveys of the men who are, who are engaged with the Don't Change Much campaign have shown that 70, I think it's 72% of men have actually changed their diet. 70% have started to exercise more regularly. Uh, 40% have decreased their alcohol intake. 42%, and these are rough numbers, but I'm pretty sure I'm pretty close, have lost weight. And 37% have decreased their stress level. So we are making an impact. But there's still a, there's still a gap. There's still work to be done here. We've received very generous funding from the government. And uh, very generous philanthropists. But, you know, we're, we've got a business that's not, you know, producing income. It's a, you know, it's a business, but it, it, we, need, we need support. How different can it be for those living in an urban environment like Vancouver or rural, like men that uh, live well, in? It's, it's access. Yeah. Right. I mean, you, you mentioned earlier that a lot of men don't have family doctors. Well, there are not all, you know, there's a lot of places in, in this country where you can't access healthcare readily. So having it digital allows these men and again, wives push, push your dad to go and, or, you know, your husband and, or your father's or whatever to turn on the computer or get the app on their phone or, you know, pay attention, even if there is no doctor in the in, nearby. Mm-hmm. So you know, the messaging, the digital world that we live in has allowed us to really reach out to a lot of these, a lot of these men. We're hoping they respond. I think you've mentioned what don't change much, uh, is. Yeah. Does that have a specific meaning to you? So don't change much, I think is a brilliant, um, uh, way of marketing what we want. We want men to change, but don't have to do it today. You don't have to do it over the next week. Let's do it slowly because over the, and then you'll find over the next few years, you will feel better physically and mentally and your lifelong um, risks of chronic illness will decrease significantly. Mm-hmm. And I mean significantly. I think that's the important one because a lot of people might say a lot of guys that are 50 and over say I'm too far gone. You know, no. what's that? What's it going to, how am I going to get back into shape? It's how am I going not to? Not too late. Yeah. It's not too late. Absolutely not. Well, thank you for the work you've done and continue to do. Yeah, well, we've got a long ways to go and we're, we're working hard at it. Thank you so much for listening. You can access more information at menshealthfoundation.ca. And if you haven't already, click the follow button to join us every month for a new episode of the Don't Change Much podcast.